up a series today uh, called New Testament Survey. We have over the summer months uh, just tackled one New Testament book a week. And so this week we come to 1 John, the book of 1 John. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there with me. 1 John is written by John. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Um, He was the only of the 12 disciples to die of natural causes. Uh, The rest were beheaded, uh, crucified, burned at the stake. Um, John actually died of natural causes at an old age. Um, He also wrote 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. So he's responsible for a lot of the New Testament content uh, that we have today. And so we're going to take a look at his letter here, uh, 1 John. And the date for this letter, as well as 2nd and 3rd John, falls toward the end of his life sometime around 90 A.D. So um, what I'd like to do is what we do each week is to stand for the reading of God's Word. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand. We're going to be, re- re- be reading 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to do some more introductory stuff, and then we'll get to these verses here in just a little bit. But if you would, let's read together from God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You may be seated. All right, so just a couple more introductory words about 1 John. Uh, Why is John writing this letter? Well, John's writing this letter as a response to uh, the docetus. The docetus comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem. Something seems a certain way. It's also a word that was used uh, synonymously with what they call the, the Gnostics. Uh, and these are people who had a commitment to believing that anything that was material was evil and that only the spiritual was good. And so they looked at the flesh, they looked at the physical world around us and believed that all of this was fallen, that all of this was evil. And so therefore, uh, they believed that only the material or only the spiritual was good. So their conclusion when these docetists became Christians was that Jesus never uh, incarnated into the flesh. They, they denied John chapter 1 and verse 14 that uh, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. They said it only seemed, going back to their understanding of his word, that it only seemed as though Jesus became flesh, but that he didn't actually become flesh. It was more just kind of like a spiritual hologram of Jesus walking around. And so John, in response to that, at the very opening line of his letter, John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we, the disciples, have heard, have seen with our eyes, have looked at with our, uh, our, looked at with our eyes, and most importantly, have touched with our hands, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John says, hang on just a minute. Jesus had a real, earthly, fleshly, human body that we actually touched. We touched him. We put our hand on his back. We prayed over him. He touched us, prayed over us. It was a real body. And so John goes on to say, John chapter 4 and verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, every one of these teachers, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he's drawing a clear line here. He says, these folks that are showing up, that are teaching you that Jesus didn't actually inhabit the human flesh, that are denying the doctrine of incarnation, incarnate, that he's in the flesh, that these people, they're, they're showing up doing this. He says, these are not people from God. And he goes on to say, verse 3 of chapter 4, but every spirit that does, does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now, there's another key theme that appears in the book of John, and that is he talks about God's love and then subsequently, not only that God is loved, but that we are to love one another. He says, John chapter 3 and verse 11, This is the message that you heard from the beginning, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, that you should love one another, even your enemies. So John is saying that the commandment that we have from Jesus to love one another, he's placing great emphasis on that, and that's a theme also that runs through the letter of 1 John. You've with me so far. So those are words of introduction um, what I'd like to do to spend the remainder of our time, though, is to settle in on one of the insights that John gives us, and that is around the topic of personal purity. It's not a topic that we hear a whole lot of preached about these days, and so I want to spend some time, even though it's a sidebar theme, to talk about personal purity. Um, look at uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We read this a few moments ago. He says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, what you need to remember is that not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody is going to make it to heaven. Only those who have pled the blood of Jesus, who have requested Jesus to forgive them of their sins, invited him into their heart, only those are the people who are going to make it to heaven. Those are the children of God. Every person walking on this planet is a creation of God, but not every person on the planet is a child of God, and there's a distinction there. Verse 2, he says, so in light of all that, dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be, that is on the other side of this world, what we will be has not yet been made known. In other words, I don't know what exactly awaits us on the other side. I don't know what kind of exactly what kind of body we're going to get. But he said, but we do know that when Jesus appears, that is at his second coming, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, Christ, as he is. And he's talking here about Jesus' glorified body. Remember, uh, if Jesus didn't inhabit the human flesh and then he died on a cross and was resurrected, what was it that resurrected? I mean, basically, to deny the incarnation that God inhabited the flesh is also to deny the resurrection from the dead. And so uh, John here is saying, hey, look, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, again, he said to Thomas, touch the scars in my hands. Place your finger in my side. I have a physical body. And so what he's referring to here is that when Jesus comes back, that we will receive, as the scriptures say, a glorified body like Jesus's glorified body. Um, and I, again, John doesn't know exactly what that's going to be like, but he knows like Jesus' glorified body, it could pass through walls, it could fly up into the air. Remember, Jesus ascended on up into heaven. It was a body that was immortal. It would never die again. It was a body that had no sin nature. And so he's anticipating this, some sort of body like this. Watch now verse 3. He says, And everyone who has this hope of this glorified body in Christ what does that person do? What are the next two words? Purifies 
himself. That was really good, y'all. I appreciate you already falling asleep on me this morning. But anyway, everyone who has this hope in him, in Jesus, purifies himself uh, just as Jesus is pure. The Apostle Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. He said, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit um, out of reverence then for God. And so these are the themes, three of the themes anyhow, that run through this letter of 1 John. And so for us this morning, that wraps up our contextual treatment of this text. It wraps up our treatment of what's going on in the passage. And so that means it's time for us to ask the most important question, the question that we ask each and every week around here, the application question, which is, what difference? Y'all, y'all with me any this morning? What difference does this make, right? So, hey, Gordon, it's really good to know these themes. Okay, he's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about how God is love. He's talking about how the purify stuff. And you said you were going to zero in on purify. But I mean, what does what difference does any of this make to me? I got kids starting school this coming week. Let me tie this into where I'm living. Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. Well, um, God wants for us, friends, here in the scriptures, unequivocally, to live holy, pure, spotless lives. And again, my suspicion this morning is that we don't hear much about how God wants us to live with personal holiness. And my suspicion is that we don't hear a lot of preaching, we don't hear a lot of teaching on the subject of how God wants us to live differently than the people who live next door to us or down the road from us or our co-workers at work who aren't in church on Sunday morning, who don't have this commitment to the Lord. And so I suspect also that we don't, as a result, demand of ourselves the kind of purity that the Bible's talking about. It seems to be a lost emphasis, if you would, in our Western churches, but it is certainly not a lost emphasis in God's Word. And so we want to talk about this subject this morning, the subject of personal holiness, personal purity. And so I want to give you five uh, areas, if you would, of personal holiness, of personal purity. So when God's talking about purity, what is he talking about? Well, five things that God's talking about here today. Uh, Five areas where the Bible calls us to purity. The first of those is a purity of mind, a purity of mind. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think on these things, telling us to put our mind on the spot of these particular pure motives and drives. And so this, in these verses, we're talking about putting, our, putting things in our mind that is contrary to what the world would want to fill our mind with. Things like lust, things like sensuality, things like magazines and TVs and movies and pay-per-view and HBO and stuff like that that's got nothing but filth funneling into our minds. Our world is flooded with this stuff. And if we're going to keep this stuff out of our mind, if we're going to honor the scriptures to purify ourselves, then we can't be neutral in these areas. We have to be proactive, rather. Uh, against this stuff getting into our mind. You say, well, what do you have in mind? What's proactive look like? Well, it may mean going home after church today and canceling your Dish Network or your DirecTV. (gasps) 
or HBO or whatever it is where the stuff is coming into your home and it's stuff. And you say, well, Gordon, there's some stuff on there that I like. I enjoy watching it. Yes, but there's also a lot of garbage that either you're watching or that your kids are watching. And it's stuff that is not contributing to the purifying of your mind. The point is we have to protect ourselves against this stuff. This is why Job said in Job chapter 31 and verse 1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. And this is what's required, friends, if we want to have purity of our mind. A second way that the Bible wants for us to be pure is to have a purity of heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because your heart is the wellspring of life. Uh, To have a purity of heart means, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, it means to get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It means, verse 32, to be kind to others and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Friends, a heart that is full of unforgiveness, a heart that's full of jealousy, a heart that's full of resentment and malice and evil thoughts about other people is not a pure heart. And so God is calling us away from deceit. He's calling us away from slander. He's calling us away from malice. He says, put something different on the inside of your heart. Allow your heart to be pure. A third uh, area that God calls us to purity is a purity in our motives. Purity of our motives. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of yourself. Okay, so some people are definitely listening this morning. All right, that's not what it says at all. It says that you're to do whatever you do for the glory of of God. That is a willingness to say, hey God, I'm perfectly fine if the spotlight doesn't fall on me. God, I'm perfectly fine if everybody doesn't walk around and give me an attaboy. You know, this is an easy one to kind of fake. This is an easy one to walk around because we do something good at work. We do something good at church. We do something good in our family. And people come to us and they say, that was so wonderful. You were so great. Boy, I mean, you just, you really lit it up. I really appreciate that. And we say, yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Pat me on the back. One more time. One more attaboy. But this is, this is so easy to fake. And so what we need to do is to ask ourselves a question. Why do I do what I do? Am I doing what I'm doing because I'm seeking the approval of other people? Am I doing what I'm doing because I'm trying to gain praise and an attaboy and a pat on the back? Why am I really doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it to shine a big light on Jesus? Or am I doing it to shine a big light on me? A fourth area that God wants us to have purity. God wants to have purity of mind. He wants to have purity of heart, a purity of motive, and also, fourthly, a purity of words. Of course, we're talking about slander and gossip, but we're also talking about what my mama called potty mouth, right? Dirty jokes, uh, language that's not becoming of people who are Christians. I've heard more professing Christians say stuff that I'm like, ugh. It should not be coming out of the mouths of people who claim the name of Christ. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 4 said. He said, there should not be among you obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for followers of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to meet uh, one of my students down in Savannah. 
uh, we do a live broadcast from Atlanta down to the Savannah campus, and I happened to be in Savannah that particular week, and so I, or down that way, and so I came up to the campus and spent some time uh, with the Savannah students, and one of them uh, is an African-American young man, uh, actually not young, but in any case, he owns an uh, Outback Steakhouse uh, there in the Savannah area, and he is a godly, godly man. Um, he has at his place of work what he calls a no-cussing zone. Not allowed to use bad language on the property of that Outback Steakhouse. And you say, well, Gordon, that's just him imposing his values on a group of people that don't necessarily share his values. That's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. And the interesting thing about that is it has opened up doors to the people that work for him, for him to share Christ with them. When they're in crisis, he said, they come to me. And he said, it's because they see me as a man of integrity. They see me as a man of wisdom. They see me as a true man of God. And so they come to me when they've got issues in their life that they're wanting to discuss. And it's given me wonderful opportunities to share Christ. Friends, the things that come out of our mouth, a watching world is looking and listening. And they're discerning whether or not what is in front of them is authentic. And what comes out of our mouth helps them shape whether or not they think that this thing called Christianity is authentic. Number five, and finally, I'm talking about a purity of action, a purity of action. That is doing things that are honest, doing things with high integrity, doing things that are virtuous, doing things that are honorable and that are just plain right, doing things that allow us to keep a clean conscience before God Listen to what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. He said, keeping a clean conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, we keep a clean conscience and those who spin stuff about us and say stuff about us, eventually, Peter says, what happens is that it makes them ashamed of what it is that they've spoken against us. And so what it means for us is to do things that are just plain right. It is always easier, always, for us to do things right the first time. It's always easier for us to do things the right way the first time we jump in there to do it. Because otherwise we're having to come back, make reparations, apologize, own it, go through a whole humility uh, experience. And it makes it so much more difficult, when, whereas if we would just do things on the up and up and right the first time, it would save us so much on the backside. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, Some people are hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That is, that they've grown numb to the bad things that they're doing. It's like somebody came in with a hot iron and seared their conscience. And the nerve endings of their conscience have been deadened, have grown numb, he says. Have, have, have seared their conscience. And it's like there's a piece of scar tissue that's grown over top of that. Friends, some of us have been going down the road that we've been traveling so long that we no longer feel rotten some, when we do those things. Some of us have been going down the road that we've been traveling on for so long that we no longer feel bad like we used to. The shame, the guilt, it's no longer there. 
when we're doing these things that disconnect us from our relationship with the Lord, that, that, that sever, that, 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 that uh, taint um, our connection, our intimacy with the Lord. And so what we need is to pray that God would rip that scar off of our conscience. Our conscience that's been seared because of so much participation in those activities that we're no longer feeling bad like we used to. Uh, you know, there was a day when the slightest thing would put us out of fellowship with God. It would register in our minds and we'd feel it intently and it would send us to our knees and we would pray, God, please forgive me. You know, it's no secret around here for the last more than a year now, our church has been uh, intentionally praying for revival in our country, in our community. And we've been praying for God to come and we recognize that the only way things are going to turn around, turn back toward the Lord, is, is if Jesus invades the mass number of hearts of people. I mean, you can't just politically argue people onto your side. I mean, maybe it's been done, but it's a difficult task. But Jesus can get into the hearts of people and can turn the hearts of people toward to honoring him again. And so we've been praying for that kind of sweeping across our nation. But, you know... The fuel of revival is repentance. And the fuel of repentance is an active conscience. An active conscience. And so I want to challenge you this morning the way I've been challenging myself to pray, Lord, stop letting me be easy on myself. A lot of us have just been giving ourselves a pass after pass. We just say, oh, I'm going to declare God's mercy over my life and my situation. He knew I couldn't help myself. And we're going easy on ourselves. God, friends, God is the one who gives mercy. We are not the ones that give mercy. What we need to give ourselves is a hard time. Is the feeling of shame and of guilt when we participate in those things that are not pure. That steal us out of our intimacy with the Lord. And then after we have done that and recognized and owned what it is that we've done to then allow God to show us mercy if he chooses. It's not up to us to show mercy on ourselves. It's us up to us to be hard on ourselves. And we can't do that unless we have an active and sensitive conscience. Friends, some of us here in our mind, in our heart, in our motive, in our mouths, in our actions, we need to take a hard inventory of where we are in terms of our personal holiness, our personal purity, and not excuse ourselves or coddle ourselves or, or, or say, well, you know, it was just the kind of thing that happened. Rather, we need to say, we need to call sin, sin, and then to allow that to drive us to repentance. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit stirs in our hearts and desires to drive us toward greater intimacy with you. But Lord, if we are, have disregarded personal purity, 
if we have allowed our conscience to be seared like a hot iron, where the nerve endings have just grown numb. We ask you today, in these quiet moments of communion, right now in this prayer, to tear that scar off our conscience. To cause it to resuscitate. To begin to come alive again. Lord, may we feel guilt when we do things that are against you. May we feel shame appropriately when we do things that are against you. Lord, in these quiet moments, if there's some area of our life, in our mind, our heart, our mouth, our actions, point that out to us. Allow our conscience to come alive. May we own it. May we speak our sorrow for it. And commit ourselves to living differently from this moment forward. That's the only way revival is going to come. It starts right here with your people. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.